Unburdened. Welcome to Unburdened. I'm Derek. I'm joined by Corbin. And I'm joined by Gerald. Um, Unburdened is a show uh, where we examine the mental health and toxic masculinity uh, for black men, or three black men rather, um, as we try to unburden ourselves of things that have uh, encumbered us or affected our lives or have affected other people's lives through us. Um, We don't have too many uh, rules except for no racism, no homophobia, no transphobia. Um, And we will try to never shush or shout anybody down uh, who's making an opinion as long as it falls within those guidelines. Um, Let me see what else. Voicemail number is 916-572-9016. Uh, email address is blackinunburdened at gmail.com. And um, I think that about sums it up for right now. Um, Corbin, how you doing today, man? Man, I am blessed and highly favored, I feel, um, as of this week. Uh, I know what it feels like to be a NFL free agent. And uh, <laughs> I, I came up a little bit. So, yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling great. Tell the folks what you're now, talking about, man. Now, well, I had uh, the position that I talked about on the show a couple of weeks back uh, that I never thought I would get. I actually got. I put in my two weeks at my job currently. Boss waited till two days from the end to make me an offer I couldn't refuse, and I didn't refuse it. Um, I kind of got like a uh, ended up being like a twenty six percent raise. Uh, over what I was making, <clears throat> and uh, so I took it. Way more money than the other people were willing to pay, and uh, now I'm kind of worried about it. <laughs> of course, with any blessing, there's a billion problems that things that can go wrong now. So that's that's just me. But um, today I, I choose to be blessed. That's what I do. Hmm. Gerald, how are you doing? Uh, same as always, behind this computer screen, either writing some, typing something, or building something. And I've been doing that all weekend, and I'm pretty excited about it because this is uh, for the first time. I know um, I know who I am in this um, online marketing space. You know, all the people out here selling the things that we sell and being the best at the thing that we're best at and convincing people to give us exorbitant about amounts of money to teach them how to do what we do. Um, I've had a hard time putting mine into a, a package, like two years worth of a hard time trying to figure it out. And when it finally came to me and I know what it is now, um, writing up everything and building everything and even uh, even offline I picked up a couple clients this week just from being able to verbalize what it is that I do. 
um, kind of that same marketing message. And it wasn't like a, oh, let me think about it. It was like, I need that. That I need that right now. Yes. How do I pay you? So I'm pretty, um, pretty excited right now because I've always known that I, I had this value to give. But I it was so frustrating because I just kept giving it away because I didn't know how to articulate why somebody should pay for it. So that's where I'm at right now. So um, your value. I just I, I uh, I'm an independent consultant uh, for social media marketing uh, to improve uh, engagement and involvement uh, for companies. And I signed my first contract um, maybe three weeks ago uh, with a company that is going to pay me long term half of the money that I make over this over this um, range of a year. They're going to pay me half that uh, over a three month period. So it's called winning right there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very pleased with the opportunity. I'm, I'm pleased with the job. And I was overcome by just fear. Exactly. <laughs> like, am I, I was worth- ready for Lucy to pull the football. Exactly. Am I worth this? Am I good enough for this? Is my writing good enough for this? Am I able to um, prove my value? Um, what if I don't pan out to where this comp- how this company needs me to pan out? Um and then I sat. I sat there on it. I sat and did no. I. I. I'm, my job is to uh, be a technical writer uh, for uh, their Twitter, LinkedIn, um, Facebook pages, and then their website as well. Um, also to be the um, webmaster of sorts for their uh, YouTube page. And I was working on their YouTube page because that's already stuff that's done. It's just videos. They just wanted it to be the playlist to be in the right order. Um, But everything else was on me. And I didn't want to write something and put it out there and then find out that nobody liked it. It didn't didn't (laughs) resonate with the people the way it was supposed to because even though... You're an artist and you're sensitive about your shit. Not even that. Not even so much me being sensitive about it. As it is, um, I'm used to swimming in four feet of water, and this is eight. Um, uh. Like, they're discussing um, management consultant, like like new management. That's their Out niche. There. They are um, working with people who are looking to become managers, people who just become managers, and helping them to develop a healthy working environment. I've never written anything about that, so to have to write something about that, I was scared that my writing wasn't going to measure up to what they were looking for. Um, And then, I think it was the day before yesterday, um, I sat down and and wrote a a document, um, just a real quick document, that somebody gave me, like, last-minute assignment, like, I need you to write this out real fast. Um, 
So I knocked it out. I knocked out a 500 word document in like 20 minutes. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I knocked that one out and I knew nothing about it. I can do this. So I knocked out three blog posts for this uh, company that I'm working for and uh, showed them to a uh, person that I know who's actually looking to go into management. And they let me know that it was like just so it was exactly what they needed at that time. Like it struck them precisely what I need to be struck. And that's when I knew I could do it. That's when that fog lifted away and there was no more worry about whether or not my stuff was good enough. But before that, I was I, I stress, just stress. So I know that double-edged sword of getting what you want and then wondering if you're good enough to be deserving of the thing that you want in the first place. Um, yep. And Corbin, it's, it's until you actually... You want to hear my... Here's my side. I've been doing this job for a year and a half. <laughs> and um, I've been filling in. I work for a very small company. We own three franchises um, in two. Well, actually three franchises in three states. So I've been the sales manager and the office manager literally for my two-year period there. And the reason I say that is um, in January... They got rid of the sales manager position, and I was just a in-home move consultant uh, position. And I hate working straight commission, but I'm very good at it. However, I was doing it. So now they're bringing that position back because they see there there's value in one me uh, because I was leaving. And pretty much nobody else knows how to do what I do, even in my current in my previous position as a move consultant go into your business or your home and just tell you how much um they were calling me and asking me how to how to do just about everything i've, I've had to explain things i had to come into office uh work all that stuff so I, that's why i say i've still been doing this job it's just that when you give me i asked for the moon and he gave it to me now i'm like oh crap not worth the moon. Yeah. Um, first of all, I feel like Gerald would have told me I sold myself short because he was like, yeah, I'll do that. And I was like, oh, man, I messed up. Uh, <laughs> so, because if he, really he didn't have to say that, he didn't have I, to think about it, though. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say that. I think that the way I would couch it is that it really tells you what your real value is to people outside of your head. Mm. Um so that I mean, every every negotiation like that is a lesson learned about where you fit um, kind of in the marketplace and how to position yourself. Right. So if you know that the number that you thought was crazy, that you thought was the moon and he looked at it and he was just like, oh, I just got to go down the street and get a little bit extra cash. Well, all of this? Oh, yes, absolutely. I got that, right? That tells you now, like, okay, I know that my value is way higher than that. Um, I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm happy with what I got now. And now I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to prove that I'm worth even more. Yeah, right? Show and prove time. So that's, that's really, I don't, I, don't, I don't look at it as saying, well, you sold yourself short. Because every time that you have some type of negotiation like this, like, it is the... Um, 
It's a, it, you're, you're, you're flying blind. And le- unless you have a mechanism to be able to say, okay, over this period of time, I'm going to make you this much money. And I know that typically, however much money I'm actually making you, you're going to pay me a quarter of that at most. A quarter of what I project that I can make you is this much. So that's the amount of money I'm asking for. Like, unless you can break those numbers down, yeah. um, you're just you're shooting in the dark. So you thought that you had a number that was crazy. He looked at it and said, that is totally sane. And now you know, okay, well, I might have to go a little crazier next time. Yeah. <laughs> That's really it. Uh, he's running out of options. So uh, he asked me my number. I gave it to him. And five minutes later, he's like, all right, I'll do it. There you go. That was it. Yeah, mine wasn't like that. They just... Uh said, hey, I, I need you to do this. I feel like you can. Well, actually, no. Let me be honest. They were talking to someone else about how they need to get this done. And I was like, I can do that. And they were like, okay, you got the job. And I was like, oh, huh, okay. Uh, well, let me write out exactly what I would do for you if, if I was in this role. And, and it went from there. So, mm. um. Joe, did we ask how you were doing? Yeah, we did. Yeah, because I was talking about how I've basically been where I always am, right here behind my computer, writing stuff. Um, this today's work has been um, these things. This is the writing I've been doing, and that outline is going to go into a, a, a landing page, a marketing landing page that I'm going to build, and. Uh, and then from that, I'm going to start running Facebook ads to get people to my landing page to buy my thing. It's, it's easy. It's a simple process. Um, I don't know if you can see, because I don't think my camera is pointing towards it, but I got my Kanban board and I got a few tasks that are the major task is build marketing landing page. And I'm... Um, I've got three tasks complete. I got one that I'm working right now, and then I got three more to do after that. So hopefully I'll be able to have all those done before the end of today um, and still have time to produce a podcast episode and put that up before tomorrow morning because otherwise people will be um, emailing me and yelling at me for not having their episode out. So, mm, yeah, you know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Stephanie, uh, who is... A friend of all of ours and a listener of the show um, sent me a, a message on Facebook and asked me what my thoughts were on it. And I was like, uh, you know what? I think that it's best if we all discuss our thoughts on this. Um, it is a picture and I'm going to go ahead and just share my screen real quick because I can do that. And that way everybody can see exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, share screen, bloop, uh, go to Facebook, bloop, and should be right there. Hey, look at that. So, the picture, for those of y'all who are watching, who are listening uh, to the audio show, is of a young lady. Uh, one uh, picture has her, essentially, with her hair... Down. I mean, it looks like she uh, was just, I don't know. It, it just looks, honestly, one side looks 
like a before and after picture uh, of this woman's hair. And then on one side, she has on makeup and earrings and all that other kind of stuff. I just want to uh, warn you beforehand that it seems like this is written by somebody who has hotep hint- tendencies. Yep. Um, I can't see the whole thing. The but it's cool. You, what part can't you see? Oh well, on my screen, you are actually covering up the bottom half of the words. However, comma pause for effect. When you read it out loud, I'll I'll know the words. Ah, okay. So the. Uh, Scenario is, you're chatting with a man for a few weeks. You're pretty interested in the feeling is mutual. He plans a first date. You're super excited. However, he has one request. For you to not wear any weave or makeup on your first date. Are you offended? Do you still go? Are you still interested and how do you respond? <laughs> I, I I've dealt with a lot of just dumb stuff before I'm, this. Go for I'm it. I'm glad David. you said it. I said I'm glad you said it. Go ahead. It's just I, I've I've dealt with a lot of dumb stuff like this before, where it's like <laughs> let's try and um make it seem like a woman has to mask her true beauty, her true black beauty. Behind makeup and 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 weave and cosmetics and all that, I just want to point out to you real quick, fellas, that one, if left to their own devices, women will do whatever they want. They're not doing it to impress you. They're not wearing clothes to impress you. Uh, the makeup thing, maybe, but fellas, let's talk about the stuff that we do to attract women because I feel like this is the thing where the guy is saying that women are trying to trap them that they're trying to fool them by wearing a weave to make their hair seem longer or makeup to cover up blemishes or something like that fellas let's talk about what we do I got a nice car because I got a big belly um I feel like I need to have this sort of thing to make up for the fact that my mentality or my outlook to people may be kind of off-putting Um, I will act like I am listening and paying the best attention to you until I feel like you like me and then I will try and seduce you. Uh, so when it's all said and done in that context, I think that ladies wearing makeup or weaves, first of all, it's pretty rude of you to say, don't wear these, you know, for the first date or don't wear these whenever because I want to see the natural you. Nobody shows a natural you on the first date. Let's get that out the way first and foremost. Uh, the first date is a job interview. It's like that very first interview where you sent in the application and they are like, we are checking you out. But nobody shows their true self on that first date. On the first I've- date, folks are covering up their mouths while they chew. Uh, they're... Uh, eating their food, eating a pizza with with a fork and a knife. You know, they're uh, listening to your needs and actually responding intelligently rather than saying, get out of here with that foolishness. They will actually engage you in discourse that goes towards your side of the conversation. Everybody has a mask. I'm not saying that makeup or a weave is a mask. I'm saying that that, that folks 
are wearing makeup in a weave because they choose to. There may be another reason why they're wearing makeup in a weave. They may be masking something on their own, but they're not masking it for you. They might be masking it for themselves, or they might just want to wear it. How about that? Like, how are you going to tell somebody? That's like me telling somebody, hey, you can go to the club with me for our first date, but don't wear no, don't, 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 don't wear the gold dress. Why not? The gold dress is my favorite dress of all time. Don't wear it. Wear something else. I want to see what you can do when I take away your favorite stuff. I, I'm just saying, as a guy, it would it would raise <coughs> red flags for me if before we even go out on our first date, this the person I'm going on the first date with is making rules and demands about what I can and cannot do. That would bug the heck out of me. If you're like on the first date, uh, wear a suit and a tie. I'm going to come up in jeans and, and, and a t-shirt because it's already off the rails. Um, I don't know. I just, I just don't feel 100% comfortable even as, I mean, the idea, it goes back to that idea of man of the household sort of thing. Telling my wife to do something makes me uncomfortable. It does. Because I wouldn't want somebody telling me to do something unless it's something that's like life saving or 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 it will benefit our kids or or you know something. I just I, I don't. I'm I'm I, I think I might be weird like that, but I just I don't like it. I don't. Corbin, you were saying? No, I was just gonna say, um, we're all three married and I feel like looking at that picture that you showed the the job interview is the one on the right that's first day first month first year even year number six is on the left and that's the same woman it doesn't i mean it's is literally no difference in her personality or anything of that nature so i don't care i mean it's the same lady my wife looks great some days some days she throws on a hat and she's out here shoveling dirt because we're building a garden. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. She looks great to me 24-7, 365. And so if I like this woman, my first thought is not to say what you, okay, this is, we're going to go out on a date, but here's how this date has got to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like a TV show, like a love and hip hop type thing. We're going to play a game where you can't wear weave or makeup. If you want to wear makeup, wear it. You want to wear weave? Wear it. I'm easy. Um, I already have had a, I guess, a three week getting to know you period. So my thing is um, at the age that I'm at, like when I was 22, 23, a totally different man. I'm 38 now. I, I'm dating for a mate. I'm not dating to, you know, just be killing time. So I'm wondering, can I introduce you to my kids? Can I introduce you to my family? Can I introduce you to my friends? Just based on your personality. I don't, I mean, I don't need all this other extra stuff that we as as men, for the most part, try to add on. Uh, Especially the hotep kind. And I see these things all the time. And sometimes people send them to me and I just keep scrolling. Because, I mean, it's just nothing... There's nothing for me to say here. Whatever he's saying, I'm going to say the opposite. That's really it. Because I don't know any... I feel like there are men out there like this. I feel like I knew men like this. But I don't know them anymore, so I'm not sure that they still exist. So that's that's where I am on that. 
Gerald? So they definitely still exist. <laughs> and Thank um, you for clearing that up, Gerald. Yeah, absolutely. They, I see them all the time. I, I, I hit the delete button often. Um, but when I see this, the first question I have is, um, so is this written by a woman and posted or was it written by a man posing as a woman to try to get a response from women uh do women actually run across people who say and do this absolutely they do but the meme itself would a woman actually take those two pictures and put them up and then write those words and put it out there into the world to try to get other women to respond to it or not because that's my first thought is this it doesn't seem like doesn't seem like the kind of thing that at least the women that i've been around will do they they will more than likely away from all of the eyes um just hit each other up in a dm or a phone call or a text message and have the conversation around Girl, you won't believe what this dude just... And then they will get their advice behind closed doors about yep. something specifically like this. Now, people will put trash and, and mess out in the world. I'm not saying that. Obviously, we know. But for something like this, I feel like kind of like what y'all are alluding to is that this is one of those things where some man decided that he wanted to start a conversation around what women should and should not do in order to inject his opinions into the social media space and create a place for, you know, trash men and, and uh, pick me women to argue about who should do what. Mm-hmm. I just... <sighs> it isn't... I'll go. What? Oh. It was you. Yeah. It was all you. I got feedback in my own ears and I was like, wait, what? Who's talking to me? It was me. Um, it isn't to me to decide anybody else's future. It isn't to me to decide what somebody's going to wear, what somebody's going to do, what somebody's not going to do. And if somebody pick me or Hotep came up to me and said, hey, this woman will do whatever you want. This one will wear whatever you want. This one will be whoever you want them to be. In all honesty, the me of 21 versus the me now, the me of 21 would have been like, great. Yeah, I'd have been all for this at 21. Right? And and I, I think about that now, like the belief that my way, my way, I got to have everything my way. And, and now that I'm I'm older, I realize that if you have everything your way, even in your in your in your mate, in your significant other, then all you got is a carbon copy of yourself. And I don't really like myself all the time. So I don't really want to deal with myself twice the you know, more than once a day. Um I feel like one of the things you said, Corbin, about um is she, can I take her to meet my kids? Can I take her to meet my, my parents? Can I take her to meet my friends? That's something else that used to mean something completely different when you were younger as compared to right now. Because when you took them to meet your friends, oh, you better look top notch. Yeah, you were showing off back back at 21. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas now, now I'm just like I want them to know that she's a good person. <laughs> you know That's what? It. Back in the day, back in the day at 21, it would be like, look at, look at, look at all the beauty that my significant other possesses, both inside and outside. Look at. I'm not gonna lie. Look at what I got. And That's now what it is. it's <laughs> now it's my wife and I will bust your ass in spades, and there's nothing you can do about it. You want to <laughs> see? Come over to the house and catch this L real quick. That's the whole conversation. We'll bust you up in Scrabble. We'll bust you up in spades. Ain't nothing about, oh, my wife is, she's this and that and the third. Ain't none of that. It's just, my companion and I want to hang out with y'all. I don't know. I, I feel like when I was younger... I categorized again. We talked about this in a different way, but I categorized people like I had friends who were guys and then I had women I was attracted to and then I had women I wasn't attracted to and the way that I treated the women I was attracted to and the women I wasn't attracted to were two completely different boxes like they were the two who were kept compartmentalized like the ones I wasn't attracted to they could come and kick it with the fellas they were a Around they were they were they were just a they were literally a friend in every every sense of the word. But if I liked you, I didn't want you to come around my friends because I was worried that my friends might like you and you might like my friends more than you liked me. And there was this immaturity that would come about where it was like and you hear people talk about it even now, like not not so much just young people either, just people. Oh, when my girl comes out, don't don't be looking at my girl. Don't be looking at my, don't be looking at my girl. Don't be looking at my dude. Don't be looking at, like, they're literally your property. Don't be looking at my car. You know, that that's my girl. That's not your girl. Keep your hands off my man. Keep your hands off my girl. And it's just a weird way that I thought it was supposed to be. Because the songs that I heard from a very young age were very possessive. R&B songs were very possessive. Rap songs were very misogynistic. There was no in-between. R&B songs were songs like, You Were Meant to Be My Lady, Not My Girl. Um, my Girl. Um, uh, she's My Heaven. I Belong to You. And it's just like all these things just get set in your head like, okay, possessiveness in relationships. So... At what step did y'all stop seeing a relationship as possessions or, or, or a potential possession and more as a companion? How old were y'all when that change happened? For me, I got to say it was like 30 <laughs> and I got married at 26, which means the first, first four years of me being married were hell. Because, honestly, it was like, where are you going? Oh, I'm going out to bingo. Why are you going out to bingo when you could be hanging out here? And it got, it was stressful for her, obviously. It was stressful for me. And at some point, I realized I was acting just like my dad would act with my mom. And so I had to look within myself. And and then I had to really sit down and apologize to my wife and have that, have have a good, honest talk with her um, about my fears and how they were playing out and completely just 
weird ways. Like, like things that would likely never happen were happening in my head. And so I had to, um, confront those fears before they became reality. But in confronting those fears before they became reality, it made it a risk of it becoming a reality. You know what I'm saying? I get you. You're going to speak it into existence. Um, for me, I was the same age. I was 30 when I realized that. Um, however, I had been married once already. I got married when I was 22 um, and divorced when I was 26, 27. Um, and so and then I married Tracy when I was 33. Yeah, 33. Um, and so the second one was vastly different from the first one. The first marriage, I kind of went, I realized this, I went against everything that I thought my parents had. My parents had a great relationship, but it was very old-fashioned. My dad said, do it. My mom wasn't doing nothing without talking to him. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. My dad was King Castle, and my mom just did what she did but that that was my interpretation of their relationship that is not how it actually was and that's not how it actually is now yes does i feel like they didn't change i changed so i feel like their relationship my parents relationship is the same i just see it differently now than i did when i was a teenager young man because i was very with my with my first wife, I was very, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Um, trying to do everything in a democratic function. Um, going to some of the things that you guys have said before, if I'm good at it, that's what I should do. That's how I am now. If you're good at this, this is yours. Mm -hmm. I'm good at this thing over here. I'm going to handle this. And, you know, we'll talk about it, but... You know, this is my expertise. I'm gonna deal with it. Yours is yours. In my younger age, I was trying to make sure that I was not overbearing. I was not pushy. I was not that old school kind of guy, which is what I felt my dad was. Mm -hmm. However, looking at it, he hasn't changed any, but my perception of that changed. So now with my wife, with Tracy now. I, whatever she's good at, that's, that's yours. Just let me know what's going on. And whatever I'm good at, I'm going to say, hey, honey, I'm good with the budgeting and the finances. Here's what we got. Here's the money we got. We're doing great. Blah, 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 yada, yada. She's good with budgeting on the food, the what, how much we got, how much we're going to spend, what we're going to eat. She's keeps me in line on a lot of things that otherwise I would not care about. She's a very personable person. So she's, She's the more feely. She knows all the neighbors. I know one. You know, I'm the check the mail guy. I wave at you. I go back in the house. I don't feel like I need to, you know, conversate with you at all. But she'll be out there for 45 minutes talking to the guy that lives four houses down or the lady that lives two streets over. Just chit-chatting. Um, I'm trying to... The areas where I'm deficient, she's very helpful. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like that has always been the way to go in any relationship. I mean, I don't say you purposefully seek out what you're deficient in, but 
those are the relationships that seem to work the best. Gerald? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so real quick from the chat, Scar jumped in. I believe that's him. It I've is. never known his real name. Um, and he said it was, um, you know, when did you start stop seeing relationships as ownership and more as a partnership? And he said it was early for me. I always wanted a person and not a thing I could control. And then I lost control completely and it hurt me. Uh, and that kind of um, that kind of spoke to me because. Like this whole putting on the um, what's the thing called the mask thing. Like, I've never done that. I've never been a put-on-a-mask person when it comes to um, dating, I don't think. But also, before I met my wife, and even after, like, when we were dating, I was nowhere in a mindset of, I'm looking for a mate. That's not how I dated. I had zero desire to get married I had zero desire to find the person I was supposed to marry so there wasn't for me there was no incentive to be like well let me not let you know who the real me is until later because for the most part unless I was in what would be considered a serious relationship I I started it out with hey so this thing is what we're doing but you may see me out in town and I'll be with somebody else. And that thing is what we're doing. And the best thing you can do is just either wave or keep walking because there will be no drama in all of this. We are not in a relationship. That was how I approached things for the longest time. So I was I was very much like I just didn't want to have to deal with drama and crap. And I knew what I was or was not looking for. So I was just like, hey, um, I don't have a problem with rejection. So if I just tell you this is what it's going to be up front and you say, no, I'm not into that. Okay. It was good meeting you. Right. And, and it's fine. So it wasn't until I, um, till me and my wife got really got engaged where I had this, the, the switch flipped in my head and it was all about me, 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 me. And then the switch flipped when the engagement happened and it immediately became okay now my entire life and job is to provide for you and then your entire life and job is to provide for me and we need to be 100% focused on each other um my like you said Corbin my um uh what's the word distorted my distorted view of what i had seen growing up right that was what i thought it was and so in my head it was like all right so i'm gonna do everything that you need from me i'm gonna do everything that you want from me i'm gonna support you i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that i'm gonna whatever and you need to give me 100 percent of the same and uh i'm not married to me i'm married to a completely different person so what I saw as an expectation, she didn't. And then in my selfishness, my other part of my brain said, well, I'm giving you all of this. If you're not going to give me all of that, then obviously I got to get it somewhere. And I was a selfish young jackass. Um, and that 
that mentality of, well, I'm doing everything and you're not doing everything. So blah, blah, blah. Like that is what almost broke my marriage. And it took, you know, that 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 four year, that four year number you gave earlier that was about what it took for me to get to the point where I was like, oh, this isn't working. This isn't how it's supposed to work. And then it was another four years of how the hell is this supposed to work? Mm-hmm. And do I even want to be here? And does she want to be here? <clears throat> and, um, you know, over over the, I'd say for the, over the first eight years of our marriage, we went back and forth between either she doesn't want it or I don't want it. But we were never at a point where we both didn't want it at the same time, which was very fortunate. Because once we finally got to the point where we understood both ourselves and each other and what marriage really is supposed to be to the point where we both were like, oh, this is a partnership. Oh, I lift you up. You lift me up. We do things together. I'm science. You're art. Together we make brilliant things and we have these great kids and we enjoy each other. So let's let's just enjoy what this is. Right. Two human beings who are walking the same path together, creating great stuff in life. By the time we got to that point, eight years in, like we could have ended so many times before that. Mm -hmm. And so many other relationships probably have and would have ended so many times before that. But there's this thing when you, when the two of you in a relationship never at the same time are both completely fed up and done. And that, I don't know what you call that, but that's what that's what we experienced. And it saved us the fact that at all points, one of the two was always in a position of saying not yet. Um, yeah, so it, it took it took, you know, some of the hardest experiences in, in life for us to get to this point. But. I I truly believe like that is I don't I don't having lived the life I've lived so far and ten and a half years into this thing, I look at my at my grandparents and I look at old couples who have been together forever and in my mind immediately I look and I say, Man, they have they have been through some stuff. I can't possibly believe that any of the older couples that I see that are still together after forty years never went through the same stuff that we went through. Exactly. I feel like that's the only way you make it there. That's the only way that you go you go through it and you both decide we are going to we are together. This is going to happen. Um I don't know what that's got to do with that meme, but <laughs> it to me it, it doesn't it doesn't start with well, you need to show me who you are up front. I need to see the real you up front. It uh, okay, you've just shown me the real you, and I don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, I know my. I, I went on a first date one time where uh, I just put the real me all up there up front. Like at the time, I had I had a do rag on, I had some sweatpants on, and a t shirt, and we weren't going anywhere real. We just went out to like schlotchkeets and 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 had some sandwiches, and then we just tootled around town for a little bit. And uh, then, like, my son got sick. 
I had to take her home with me, which at that point I was living with my mom because I had my my two year old son. He got sick. He had asthma. She spent four hours just sitting downstairs looking at her phone while I was taking care of my son. And then I took her home. It was the worst first day ever. Saw all the worst, ugliest parts of who I was in my life and all of these things. And ten and a half years. Well, no, that was 14 years ago. So 14 years later. Here we are, right? So all of the show me this and show me that first date stuff, it, from all the people I've interacted with, a bunch of the worst first date stories are the ones that are that lead to a marriage. Bruh, our our, <laughs> our first date story, first date story by uh, by Rashani. Uh, actually, no, first date was my leaving my old business and starting at a new company and asking her out on a date. Second date, the first date, I driving down the freeway or driving down the road, drumming a beat, I always drum a beat on the passenger seat while listening to music. I can't help it. And so as I'm driving down the street, I realize I'm still drumming a beat, but now my hand is on her thigh. This is our first date. I don't even mean to, I'm just drumming the beat. And she's like, uh, excuse me. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I did not mean to do that. First date, uh, we go out. We go dancing. We go out to eat. I try and order for her because I'm thinking that's what's supposed to happen. I'm like, this is really good. You should try it. That didn't go over well. Uh, Nisha's a Virgo. These things don't play. Um, so after the first date, I'm thinking there's not going to be a second date. But. A couple days later, a few of my friends are like, hey, we're going to a wine tasting out in Amador or something like that. Do you want to go? And I don't like wine, but I was like, this is a good opportunity for me to see Nisha again. So I called her and I was like, hey, do you want to go on a wine tasting? And it turns out she does like wine. Um, and so she went and we went and I sat back and, and ate these flavorless crackers all day while they drank wine. And I was just with her. Um, on the way back home from the wine tasting, two of our friends uh, who were who went with us uh, were in the car ahead of us, and it was a windy road, and they were speeding down this windy road, and I'll never forget, they missed the turn and drove into a farmer's wired fence, hit the fence, and their car flipped once or twice. Their car flipped twice. And um, thought they were dead. Like this is literally the second worst. This is the worst date I've ever been on. We think they're dead, and so we run over, and they're like, "We're okay. We're a little bit drunk, but we're okay. The car is kind of ruined, but we're okay." And I'm like, "All right, cool. I'm gonna take Nisha home." We're up in Amador County, which is like miles away from where any of us live. Nisha just saw two of my friends who are supposed to be real ones get hurt in a car accident. And she sees me say, I right, y'all peace. If y'all good, I'm good. I'm going to take her on back to the house. Uh, holla at your boy when you get done. Uh, hope you get a tow truck. And we dipped out. Hindsight, I didn't even think about that till now. Um, and the only, the first really good date we had to me was when I was like, you know what, honestly, I'm broke. 
I, I I got I have a two year old daughter. I was in the same boat you were in, Gerald. Except my daughter didn't have asthma. I had a two year old daughter. I'm broke. I'm living with my mama. Um, I'd love to take you out though. I would love to just walk around with you and get to know you. And so we had a date where we went to Old Sacramento, which is like four city blocks of just old timey stuff. It looks like how cowboys, how the Wild West looks. And we walked. We didn't have money to go eat anywhere. We didn't have money for ice cream. We didn't have money for any of that. We just walked. And while we were walking, there was a homeless woman who was just following us. Like every corner we turned, she was following us. She was right there with us. She was like nine or ten steps behind us. It wasn't like we were in any danger. But she was just with us. So we were like, look, we got a, show, we got a chaperone for this date. And we were out there for a good hour and a half to two hours. Didn't buy anything. Didn't do anything. Just held hands and talked. We sampled free candy from the from the taffy shop. And that was really it. And it was a nowhere date. And it was a nothing date. And it was... I think it was then when I first told her I, I loved her. That moment where I stopped trying to be what other people... You know, when when I stopped trying to be all just br brash and, and, and braggadocio and all that kind of stuff and just let things take their own steps and, and, and I think really showed her the real me was when we were walking around not doing anything because we didn't have enough money to do anything. Um, I, I, I am looking at this Facebook thing, this this John Gray, Pastor John Gray, uh, did a um, sermon about that. a couple weeks ago or, or last week. It was an interview, I think. Where he said, uh, I put my wife through eight years of pain and she gave birth to me as a man. And um, by and large, it's not being taken very, it's not being taken well at all. It's not. It's it's not a good quote. But you know what's strange? In all honesty, a good majority of the guys I talk to tell me that it took them years to really shed what they thought they knew about marriage because of what they saw with their parents and then build what they wanted in a marriage with their significant other. Eight years. But when somebody puts it into words like this, it sounds awfully horrible because they yeah, put the images completely on the woman. Like, she birthed me. She made me into a man instead of, you know, I was a horrible person and I grew. Um, but I think in all roads, it leads back to the same thing. Eight years, Gerald. Eight years, Derek. Corbin, uh, between your first relationship and when you got married again... It was nine years. Nine years. Nine you can years. Average a man. That out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I got when I got married the first time and when I got married the second time it was nine years in between. And um it, it's 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 really interesting to me that there's sadly a lot of honesty in that statement that we are I mean I'm going to be honest, in my eyes, I felt like my my faults and Nisha's faults weren't the same, 
but she had faults and I had faults that we both need to get past because we were both living selfishly apart from one another because we're single parents. We're looking out for ourselves and our kids. There was nobody else. So for somebody else to come into that situation, it caused a different dichotomy, a different situation that we weren't ready for. So it took us a couple years to really break down what we went through in prior relationships. It took us a couple years to build that trust with each other that we may not have had because we're used to, like you said, Gerald, if you're not good with this, I'm, I'm okay with rejection. You can go. So we have that guard up just in case they say I'm, I'm gone. Like within the first year or two, if they say we're gone, I don't want to be hurt. I'm still a man, baby. I'm a man. So I got to put that guard up. Um, and then taking that guard down is another two years. And then building a new guard with the both of us. Building an actual family crest. I just feel like if... if I feel like there are better ways to say it than he did. Much better ways to say it. But, but you I, knew what he meant. Yes. I think that in relationships, you're not... It's not, that whole birthing thing is stupid. I'll put that out there right now. But the change that you each go through, apart and together, is a beautiful process that I think affects both sides. And it's not like I birthed her. She came, she she grew, and I grew to love her changes. I grew, and she grew to love as I grew. So it's a constant reformatting, a reformatting that I think gets lost in the almost ownership statement that he said, which is, oh, sorry, go for it, Gerald. I was, uh, I was going to try to ask a separate different question, right? Because there is a, there's a person you're supposed to go through that with. God. Right. And I mean, your wife, that's, that's the person you're supposed to. I'm, I, that's where I was going with it. Better I mean, or worse, for you can call her worse. God if you want. But but my but my point being, is. at the first, at that first date or in that first time period where y'all are dating, um, what is it that separates the person who's supposed to end up being your wife from the people who you know that you are not meant to go through all of that development with, like? Um, with my wife, the, the one thing that was different was that, uh, most of the time we spent with each other, we went on these super dates on Sundays because she worked during the week. Uh, when we first started dating, she was finishing up her bachelor's and I was unemployed, not in school with a four year old son and living in a one bedroom apartment, um, And my son was kind of living with me and kind of living with my mom because I was uh, unemployed, not in school, living on one uh, unemployment in a one bedroom apartment. So like she met me at the lowest point that I had ever been in my life. And what she decided to do with that was take me home to meet her parents, which I have no idea what she was thinking or why they didn't kick me out. But the thing that was different about my wife is that when we spent time together, like our dates were marathon dates on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like she would get out of church, come to my apartment at one o'clock in the afternoon, and we would literally just go do stuff until like midnight. And that was it. Like every Sunday, we would just spend time just out being humans together. And 
we would hang out and it was just like, I enjoy being in your presence. And that was a completely different dynamic than I had ever had with any other person. It was, it, it wasn't at the time saying, Oh my God, this is the person I'm supposed to be with. It was just, Hmm, this is different and nice. So what about y'all? What was, what was it like for y'all? What was different if there was anything? It's it's funny that you're asking these questions while my beloved wife is not only watching live on Facebook, but is also sitting right behind me uh, in the bed. So real, real quick, when you first pointed back there and I was like, oh, that's a person. It made me think about that scene in Friday where... Craig's girlfriend is sitting there on the phone and she's yelling at him. <laughs> and the dude is behind her. <laughs> it's a dude yeah. on the bed in the background while she's yelling at him about being out at the movies with somebody else. Anyway, you yeah. know, honestly, and and Scar can tell you because Scar and me, four flats go. We go way way back. Um, almost as far back as Nisha and I actually, and um. Way back. The first time that um, I knew that Nisha was different from every other relationship that I had ever had was when I lost that job. When I hit adversity, and I know guys are like, she held me down and all that kind of stuff. She didn't. She didn't hold me down. She literally told me, look, you're okay. You get unemployment. I have a job. You're going to find a job like you're going to find a job. And it was like, okay. And it was just like, so matter of fact, and it was so certain and it was just so much, just, I don't know. Um, and, and it was, it wasn't like you shiftless self, you shiftless jerk, you, you single father, you, you horrible person. It was just like, Get on your grind and go find another job. Like, uh, get us back on the right path. Get us back man. to where we need to be at. Don't don't waste time. And um, so I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go get a job. And I, I, I remember this vividly. I lost my job on June the 22nd of, like, 2005, something like that. And I got my job. No, I lost my job June 22nd, 2006. I got my next job with the state on June 24th, 2007. And I've been working with the state ever since. Uh, At no point does she ever say, look here, you punk, you need to be a real man and do all this. She was just like, yo, how's the job search going? And I was like, you know what? I'm waiting on the state to hit me back. And she was like, cool. Uh, What are you going to do while you're waiting? And so I started volunteering at our daughter's uh, preschool. She was just like, I just don't want you sitting around doing nothing. And and initially I thought it was because, you know, uh, you a do nothing man or all that. No, she was just like, I just don't want you sitting there thinking about your job situation. I don't want you to sit there and worry about your job situation. Everything is going to work out. But you need to do something to keep yourself busy. And it was like, I've never been around somebody who was so mature about something like this. Like even my friends would have called me a punk by then would have told me to man up or something like that. And she was just like, you know what? It's a, it's a storm storms come and go, but the sun always shines like we'll be okay. And I remember telling one of my friends, you know what? 
I've never been in a situation like this before. I don't really know how to deal with this. Like, there's no argument. There's no nothing. It's just, like, support. And for those of y'all who don't know much about me, with my mindset, one of the... They say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. To me, the way to my heart is through support. If you are... If if you walk your dogs and represent woo, if, if there's a if there's it's not even a loyalty. If you're just there for me and I'm there for you, I will walk through fire and flames to get whatever you need to be whatever you need me to be. And so when I got that job, I was just like, you know what, this wonderful person was just she loved me unconditionally during all this time. And, and and we had hard times after that. I won't even front. Everybody has hard times. Like you said, yep. if you've been together for 10 years, you've had at least 20 hard times you don't want to tell nobody about. Them big hard times where you just like looking at the door and she's looking at the garage. <laughs> and it's like um, the thing that stopped me was a lot of times was when I didn't have anything. When I didn't have a damn cent to my name, when all I had was a two-year-old daughter and a dream, the one person who never denigrated me, who never left me behind, who never did anything, it's the same woman I'm looking at right now whose shoulders are heaving, looking like she wants to throw a plate at me. You know what? She deserves every bit of love and grace that she showed me, and that would calm me down. Because we had stupid arguments when we were first growing up. And we were growing up together. In the 20s, if you get married in your 20s, God bless you. You got a hard road That's ahead of you. what I say now. You got a hard road ahead of you. Uh, Scar got uh, with his ex-wife when he was 15. They had a hard road ahead of them. Because they grew up together. Me and Nisha and I, we were like, we got together when we were 26 and she was 27. Well, when, we were, when I was 25 and she was 26. Um... Oh, you got one of them Cougars, too? Huh? Yeah. You got one of them Cougars, too? Yeah, she's older than me. But that was a situation where our eldest son, Kenny, had a get-together. And Kenny has a ton of cousins. (coughs) Uh, And so his cousins came over to the house. And the girl cousins went in my daughter's room and tore her room up. Like, from pillar to post, like five- and six-year-olds do. And then left. And left the room just horrible. It was like, it looked like a war zone in there. You put five, five and six year olds in a room with toys. Something bad's going to happen to good people. So they tore up the room and then they left. And, and, and my daughter was sitting in a pile of just toys, just looking around like she was shell shocked. And Nisha was like, so you didn't tell your friends to clean the room, huh? And my daughter was looking at her like, I'm, I'm five. I don't really have the wherewithal to tell these other girls, y'all need to get it together and clean this up. So Nisha was like, well, you got to clean up this room. And my daughter was like, <laughs> so I went in there and helped her clean up the room. I'm like, she's, she's five, you know, she doesn't like clean up the room as it is. This is like traumatic for her. I'm going to help clean it up. Nisha's lifestyle was much different. Nisha's mom is like a, cleaning Nazi. And so it's like, you're going to clean everything and then you're going to take a sponge. You're going to clean everything again by yourself. Cause I said to do it. So when I went there and helped her clean up the room, I became public enemy number one in Nisha's eyes. And I was like, I just thought I was being a good father and the smallest things, smallest things in new relationships. 
I said, I don't understand why you're so upset that I helped clean her room. I thought I was just being a good father. And Nisha said, yeah, Derek, you're the real father of the year. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. And I walked away. I left. I didn't drive away. I literally walked out of our house and started walking down the street. And I just walked. And I was like, "What? where am I going? Like, what am I walking for? And I called her and I was like, I'm still walking, you know, I'm walking. And she was like, where are you walking to? And I was like, I don't know. I might walk to my brother's house. And she was like, he lives really far away. And I was like, by the time I get there, I won't be mad anymore that you said I'm the father of the year. And that was our, that was our argument when we were like 26. That was an argument that she called me father of the year because I cleaned my daughter's room with her. Um, people don't make it past that relationships fail over stuff like that. Like you really got to think about that. There are people who that is their breaking point. So when you look at your grandparents who make it like 40 years, 45 years, whatever it may be, they went through something like that. Somebody, you know, put them to a breaking point and it was something stupid. And they were just like, I don't want to do this anymore. So once you get to a point where you're both growing together and you know each other and you 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 know what you're what you're each looking for and what the other person's looking for and you could be selfless that's also important when you could be selfless in a relationship where you put them before you put yourself or your kids or anybody else at times that's when you get unburdened <laughs> so oh wait no so um I want to thank my beloved wife, first of all, for not choking me out while I'm telling any of these stories that are going to end up being on the intranet. <laughs> um, also, Forever. also uh, check out Corbin on South of the City. Um, check him out on uh, YouTube at... Uh, what's uh, the State YouTube? State of program? Corbin. Huh? State of Corbin. State of Corbin. And also on Twitter at... State of Corbin. And Gerald, you can be found on Facebook at Buy Black Podcast, the voice of black business. That thing and uh, also at G-W-J-O-N-E-S-I-I. You can find me on that everywhere. Um, But go to Facebook because Twitter, I'm not really there. Instagram, I'm not really there. And this is a season of no for me. And I'm starting to say no to a bunch of things that are taking up my time that I'm not going to be able to hold up. And here shortly, you will also be able to find uh, me and my services at dopebusinessplan.com. Is that not the dopest website name I would ever? Look it up. I like that. Hey, it's happening. That's what I've been working on. So, so yeah, wait, 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 wait. If I have a yep, business yep. idea, but I don't know how to write a business plan, you'll help me write a business plan? Dope one. My man, we got to talk. I got a couple business ideas, but I was just telling my uh, Kenny, Triple Kenny, my son, I was just telling his girlfriend, who's a freshman in college, um, about what classes she should really look into. She was like, I have four things that I might want to minor in. One is child development. One is business. And the other one was accounting. Okay, but that's three, though? Yeah. That's what, what she, she said, said. Four. Four. That's four. Oh, she said four. That was one more. I can't remember what. Oh, advertising. Advertising. Okay. And so marketing. 
And so I was like, yeah, um, I would definitely take child development out of that because you don't even like having, like, my my youngest son around you too often. And he's 11. So you're not going to be a teacher. Um, I was like, but the business side, if you get that business side down, I would definitely recommend that as a minor. Because if you have a if you're able to write a, a business plan, you are five steps ahead of so many people who say, I wish I could do this. So. There's going to be people who are looking for you, Gerald, for help with writing a business plan. I'll probably be first in line because uh, there's a couple things that I have just rooting around inside of this dome that we call a head. Right. A brain. And that's my biggest problem has been I've been helping people do that for years, but I didn't really know what I was. I didn't know how to say what I was doing or how to package it. So as soon as I was like, oh, this is what I've been doing. And then uh, put some dope marketing around my dope business plan by making it dopebusinessplan.com. Then it all came together and I've just been able to write the marketing copy because I've been doing it. I just didn't know how to say what I was doing. And those words made it really easy for me to package it and say, this is what I'm doing. So, yeah, I will I will happily help you structure it, put it into a package put it out into the world. That's what we do. So yeah, that's where y'all can find me. Um, but GW Jones, I, I more than the buy black podcast and all the other ones, because those things don't make me money. And right now I'm going into the season of saying no to stuff that doesn't make me money. Cause my family needs more from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find single simulcast, uh, the dream team, uh, storytellers, 20 minutes, sin and solace, the kitchen sink. Uh, I want you to know that you helped me. Wait, I'm not done with all my shows yet. I want you to know you helped me make my trip this morning. The six-hour drive was all you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, like, if I could, I don't, the thing is, I don't want to monetize podcasting. And we have the Patreon, but that is solely so that we can pay for the bandwidth for the shows we're putting out. All that money goes directly back into paying Lipson. Um but I feel like there's just so much people need entertainment and I have that. So I want to share that. So that's why it's not monetized, but the social media, uh, program that the, the, the the independent consulting thing that I'm doing with social media, I'm thinking that I'm going to figure out how to make that into a brand and make that into a business. Oh, that's all you've already done that. What you don't realize is that the way you monetize your podcasting is exactly the way that you've gotten this job. Hey, so not only do I create all of this that. great content, you but you, I'm hearing me in my head again. Um, it's not I don't know just why. you. It's, it's, it's Corbin. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> but yeah, so the social media marketing thing, the way that you oh. manage all these different groups on Twitter, on Facebook, the engagement on um, on all the different pages for all the different um, shows that you run, like that's a skill set that you've developed in doing the podcast that you love that is easily marketable, that you can use your podcast to let people know that you do while still not monetizing the podcast and keeping keeping all of that free, making all that good content for people. But the skills that you've developed, that's what you monetize and you use your platforms to market that hmm. because 
as much as you are giving away all this free content to people and as much as you're entertaining people for their six hour drives, cause you do it for me too. It's not, it's not a huge thing to turn around and say, okay, I'm going to pull a little bit of value out of this, but that value I'm pulling out is just the matter of letting all these people know how I can help them with whatever the thing is that I can help them with. A little bit of self-promotion, a little bit of marketing. Never hurt anybody, especially when you give so much to so many people in so many ways all of the time. Telling them, hey, here's how you can pay me to do what I do best is not a huge ask. That's what you do. PayPal.me backslash single simulcast. (laughs) That's how you can pay me to do what I do best right now. Shabam. Uh, I'd greatly appreciate it. And you know what? It's weird saying it because... It's just, it, it never, I don't know. It's a thing. It's that worth thing. You know, it's that worth thing. I'm still learning my worth, but y'all make it worth it. And um, I appreciate it. So again, uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for the question that are the, the, the Facebook posts really led to the greater conversation. Um, and everybody, thank you so much for joining us in the chat. Uh, we are still looking for people to join us on the show. Uh, just let us know. We are more than willing to use a pseudonym for your name so you they don't have to know what your real name is. Uh, we don't have to do a video copy of that episode, so they don't have to see your face. Um, just hit us up at blackinunburdened at gmail.com and we can get that going. But other than that, fellas, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Listeners, y'all be good. Hit us up if you need us. We'll hit you up whether you need us or not. Just check in on you. And we love each y'all in a way that can not truly be conveyed through words. Y'all be good. Peace. You can follow the show at Unburdened Pod on Twitter. Voicemail is 916-572-9016. Email is black in unburdened at gmail.com